and we're live and i have the amazing dave cohen who's given me this most remarkable bio here <laughs> to read out um this is dave cohen hello writer. writer he's a writer he's a comedian edinburgh festival Perrier award winner nominee which sounds very impressive dave well done for that. <laughs> founder of the comedy store players Dave Cohen has been a constant presence on the British comedy scene for more than 35 years. Well, that is, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm lucky about 35 years, but at least I've got experience. Yeah. Uh, written, he's written for Spitting Edge, Have I Got News For You, and he's best known for his song lyrics for Horrible Histories. So, thank you so much for being a guest on the show, Dave. And how are you uh, this evening? I'm very well, thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me, and uh, Happy New Year to you. Yeah. Happy Just showing we're live here. Um, yeah. <laughs> and we have got some people who, well, they said they started following. I'm not sure anybody. Oh, somebody's watching. So we've got a viewer. Hey! <laughs> right. Shall we uh, kick off with the first yes. book that you picked, which is later an eclectic first kind of this particular book yeah. we've, uh, we've had on the show, a music lyrics. Well, I, I'm, I'm attempting to do some kind of, uh, put some kind of shape to this uh, hour. Yeah. I thought, you know, not just pick any old books, but to, to try, try and try and try and deliver a narrative, really, which as a, as a writer, one, one might expect. But, uh, but um, I, I picked this because when I was a kid, so yeah, so the Beatles complete uh, books, um, guitar and piano, whatever. Um, when I was a kid, I, I was really not that interested in reading at all I, I, yeah. I, I loved writing uh, but I had no interest in reading um, but one of the first books that I do remember in the house my brother uh, my older brother had a guitar and he had the uh, he had a Bob Dylan songbook not the Bob Dylan songbook but just a yeah. Bob Dylan songbook and he had a guitar and he uh, and I borrowed his guitar and I learned how to play uh, mm. guitar through this Bob Dylan songbook and actually even after learning three songs from the book and singing them horribly I realized I was a better singer and guitarist than Bob Dylan but uh, <laughs> yeah. I did uh, he also had a book of um, the Beatles magical mystery tour and and yeah and so I just became uh, you know I, I just I, I, I loved the Beatles and uh, this was in the early 1960s, so it was a sort of uh, music was music was my first love, as the song says. So, yeah. really, from about the age of five or six, uh, I was just into lyrics, into song lyrics. Um, but for some reason, I always preferred John Lennon to Paul McCartney. Um, and in fact, I'd like to apologise, Paul McCartney. If it is Paul McCartney who's the person who's watching this at the moment, I would like to, I'd like to personally apologise to Paul <laughs> for having written rude jokes about his songwriting for many years and probably profited out of that. Um, when I watched Get Back, the uh, the Disney series last year, um, it was such a revelation, and it made me revisit Paul McCartney and revisit his lyrics and realise that actually what I'd thought of as, oh, his lyrics are terrible and John Lennon's fantastic. There is actually some uh, an incredible beauty to Paul McCartney's uh, lyrics. Not only that, but I realise that subconsciously when I've written songs over the years, I have uh, nicked a lot of things from Paul McCartney sub totally subconsciously yeah. um you know sort of uh internal rhymes and things and songs and and 
just the co comic juxtapositions of words. Um, and in fact, I've got a little, uh, just a little test for you, Tim. If you pick, pick a number, um, we haven't practiced the rehearsals before. Pick a no. number between thirty-four and three hundred and sixteen, uh, and hundred and twelve. Hundred and twelve. Let's see what hundred and twelve delivers us in terms of uh, lyrics. Uh, 112 gives us um, Day Tripper, uh, which, is a, which is a song I really remember for that uh, from that uh, time. So um, that's got, you know, um, got, now I, I realized when I was seven years old, whenever this came out, I didn't understand the kind of uh, slight rudeness of this uh, song, but there is definitely uh, um, got a good reason for taking the easy way out. Got a good reason for taking the easy way out. Uh, she was a day tripper, one way ticket. Took me so long to find out. Uh, she's mm. a big teaser. She uh, she took me half the way there now. Now I'm uh, seven years old <laughs> for that <laughs> lyric. Oh, she's a big teaser. What she done? She sort of nip nip yeah. uh, big sister. She's a big you're a big teaser. You know, I had no idea what the, the, the but but I mean that's just a that that was just a random example there. So you know, uh, Beatles. So, so why 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 do you love the Beatles lyrics so much, and why this particular book then? Um, well, it just I suppose because so much of the work that I've done, so much of my comedy has been sort of songwriting, yeah. and um, it really and I did and I was a little bit obsessed with John Lennon, um, and then he died, you know, and in, in hopefully nothing to do with you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's sort of classic mythic rock star death that yeah. made me even more obsessed with him, yeah. really. And um, you know, and I, I, I kind of, I, I, I was interested in in that what what it was possible for someone to do in such a short life. How this horrible man, you know, by all accounts, this is really awful. Uh, misogynistic. I mean, you yeah. know, it's there's one song in there where he uh, girl doesn't get Norwegian wood. This girl won't sleep with him, so so he sets fire to her furniture. I mean, you know, that's a, is that, um, isn't that like one song? Is it Good Morning or something? Where he goes on about he used to beat his wife or something? No, that's um, that's um, getting better. Um, oh, getting um, better. Sorry, you yeah. know, and I mean, I used to be cruel to my woman and beat yeah. her. You know, and, and I mean that that uh, I mean that shows how far we progressed in 50, 60 yeah. years. You know, you would not hear that lyric no. anymore and i think that i was actually that might be a pull pull lyric but um uh, uh, it's it, but what i've since found going back to the paul song i mean you know and and john was all very druggy and yeah. you, know, you know kind of uh yellow matter custard dripping from a dead dog's eye all that stuff but actually then starting to think about the whole kind of, uh, like i say that sort of everyday banality of the uh, you know the um the banker never wears a hat in the pouring rain. Yeah. Very strange. I mean, it's it's what's it's nothing really, but it is it's unsettling, and there is there is something kind of beautifully unsettling about uh, McCartney's poetry, and poetry is a is a big theme that, uh, as you'll see, as we're, as, as we sort of uh, carry on, really. But uh, yeah, I think that's really what 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 kept me and and continues to keep me obsessed with the beatles okay all right i'm going to move on and uh 
Came a little transition. The next one is The Sons of Titan by uh, Kurt. Oh, I'm going to get his surname now. Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut. Yes. So here we go. And interesting uh, cover that I've picked up here. Um, because, uh, you know, so I, as I mentioned, I wanted to be, uh, I, I loved writing, yeah. uh, but I was not interested in reading at all. Um, but here was another one. This was, um, I was uh, introduced to the writing of Kurt Vonnegut when I was a student uh, and a friend uh, showed me some of his books. But then I, actually the main way that I came to Kurt Vonnegut was through uh, a movie called Slaughterhouse-Five. I remember okay. we were students and we were all sitting around doing whatever students do when the telly's on in the background, mm. um, probably breaking several laws at that point. And, you know, you just don't, when there's six or seven of you sitting around and the telly's on in the background, you're not watching, but we all kind of seem to be slowly drawn into this movie, which is a sort of really amazing, weird science fiction movie about this character uh, who, who is uh, in Dresden just before it gets bombed in, in World War Two, And um, he's, um, they, they have to, the Americans have, warned to go underground in dresden because they, there's word is out that, that it's going to get bombed yeah um and, and and you know it's very autobiographical vonnegut this actually what happened to vonnegut but the, the story the character who vonnegut uh has sort of written about knows his whole life knows what's going to happen to him in his whole life he knows he's going to survive in dresden but he also he knows when he's going to die and he knows mm. what's going to happen to him uh and but the that the book that book was very much about the war and the bombing of dresden and and and, and that very strong kind of uh anti-war sort of aspect of it but but sirens of titan which was kind of written at a similar time is also about a character who knows, who sort of knows what's going to happen to him. And you look at this cover, it looks, you yeah. go, uh, that's a science fiction book. Yeah. And um, I'm not a science fiction fan. I've tried mm. science fiction. I, I've, I've, I've tried to read lots and lots of books by people with covers like this. Uh, I tried Terry Pratchett as well. And I know a lot of people love Terry Pratchett, um, but I just can't get into science fiction. But I love Kurt Vonnegut, and the, mm. the, and in fact uh, Douglas Adams, who was kind of again a massively influential uh, writer for me. He his radio series Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy yeah. came out pretty much at the same time that I was discovering Vonnegut for myself. And in fact, John Lloyd, the producer of um, Hitchhiker's Guide, and or, or in fact, well, the sort of co-writer, but Jeffrey Perkins is the producer. But John Lloyd said that he and Douglas Adams were massively influenced by Kurt Vonnegut when they were writing Hitchhiker's, uh, Hitchhiker's Guide. And I've just read this book again, just read it over New Year. And um, it's so packed with jokes. And so many of the jokes that are in Sirens of Titan find their way into Hitchhiker's Guide. So that's yeah. sort of quite, quite an interesting uh, thing. So this there's this trilogy of books by Vonnegut, Cat's Cradle, Sirens of Titan, and um, Slaughterhouse-Five. It's just a incredible uh discourse on humanity and the and world war ii and 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 you know what is what is the meaning of life which was a massive thing in the 80s um so why, why did you pick this book out apart from one of the other two 
because uh, it was the only one I could find. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I, the reason, one of the reasons I picked it out was because yeah. I'd been on a sort of Twitter chat recently. Uh, a couple of like, it was uh, Vonnegut's hundredth birthday in November, yeah. and and he's sort of exactly two weeks older than my my dad, who would have been a hundred in December. Mm. Um, and these two guys who I follow on Twitter, who I like, who write a lot about books, and one of them had written about Cat's Cradle and then the other one had written about Slaughterhouse Five. Oh. And so I said, right, oh well I'm gonna you you've made me want to reread Sirens of Titan again. Yeah. And I was just amazed at how and how contemporary it is as well. It's written in 1962. And actually the main character uh, it's really fascinating. Nineteen or nineteen sixty, I think. The main character is basically Elon Musk. Um, yeah. You know, there is something. There's this incredibly massively, massively rich character who basically thinks that going into space, going to Mars, is going to be, you know, the solution. Is yeah. he's going to find the answers to all the questions in his life? So, um, so that's why I. Uh, that's, I guess that's why I chose this particular book. But that really got me into wanting to be a writer, seeing seeing what you could do with novels. Okay. So I'm going to do a lovely overlay again. <laughs> and the Mersey sound. So yeah. Going, this is... Um, Poetry, I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. Now, sadly, I don't have a copy of the book to hand because, and, and particularly because that's, I think that's one of the only books that I can think of that whenever I see the cover, it makes it makes my heart jump a bit yeah. because it's so evocative of who I was when I was that teenager writing my own poetry terrible terrible poetry about yeah you know about that, well tried to be funny some of it was quite funny i think but most of it was you know oh uh, look at me what am i what is life what is death we are all yeah. going to die or whatever and the mersey poets the, the mersey sound there's basically three guys adrian henry brian patton roger mcgough who just wrote jokes in poem form basically and that's that's kind of as much as you say but i would like to actually uh, uh read one of the poem i have got a uh, picked out a copy because this of uh, on the internet of um probably one of my favorite all-time favorite poems it's very short so it's called little johnny's confession and it's by brian patton is this okay to kind of quote things um all right well it's a little johnny's confession it's basically yeah. about a seven-year-old kid who gets his dad's world war ii yeah. machine gun and and eliminates some of his mates which you know when it was written in the 60s or 70s you know pre what we know now goes on in america as a matter of course so it kind of uh again is something that you would look at now and you go oh my god you know yeah uh but actually it's sort of about this little boy who's you know the, he's on the run from the police and the the, the sniffer dogs will will track him down because they've got the scent of his lollipops and so it's sort of it's just a it's it's very funny and very sad, you know. So it kind of uh, it, it really sort of captured for me that sense of uh, you know the kind of the the, the kid who isn't listened to. Um, but 
done done in joke form and jokes you know jokes all are are like music really yeah Um, you know you watch a watch any comedian um you know at at their peak and watch a show like live at the apollo and you you, you'll kind of get a get a rhythm to it you'll get a feel to it and and so comic poetry is the sort of it's like the halfway house really i suppose between um between poetry and uh, poetry and, and stand-up comedy, really, I suppose, or, or so musical stand-up comedy. Are these all comic poems then, or is it more? Mostly, yeah. I mean, yeah. Adrian Henry was a little bit more kind of um, mature and about relationships and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was sort of fourteen, fifteen, so that didn't quite. Yeah. Talk to me, but you know, Roger McGough was the yeah. uh, with the scaffold, you know, Lily the Pink and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So they were always a very sort of comic uh, kind of act, and uh, and and so so that was um, yeah, it, and 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 again, the Mersey Sound synonymous, you know, the poets, the the the, the Beatles, and the, the the everything that was coming out of Liverpool in the in the nineteen sixties was just uh it, it, i suppose I, I suppose it just spoke universal truths to to those of us who were kind of growing up around that time okay all right so let's go on to the next one which is something oh. happened by joseph heller yes well i suppose so, so uh what can i say about this book uh okay next book no no uh, <laughs> so i suppose again it, it's about sort of wanting to be a writer and i suppose this is the first um two two people really who kind of over and above the kind of douglas adams and the yeah. and the beatles and and you know the the, the, the popular culture uh but the the, uh, Mel Brooks and the, f- the producers, the film, the producers, um, and Joseph Heller, who of course wrote um, Catch Twenty Two, yeah. the, the greatest, one of the greatest novels in the English language, I think. Um, and um, the, so, the their um, my great grandparents will have come from the same villages in Eastern Europe that uh, Heller and Brooks's uh, parents would have, uh, and, and grandparents would have come from. So I had a very strong affinity with that sort of New York Jewish culture. Um, but there wasn't really an English uh, equivalent, you know. Yeah. But I, I felt um, that there were couple of us in the early days of alternative comedy arnold brown and myself who who were actually attempting to to kind of create a sort of a jewish a british jewish version of yeah. of, of, uh, of this um but it was a very big influence really was um joseph heller again a book very very funny books um but something happened is actually the most serious uh of, of his books and um Again, it's this this thing of you know, kind of it's it, it's it's a really um, tricky thing. I know we'll talk a little bit about independent publishing and how you kind of you sort yeah. of have to write to genre uh, yeah. if you want to be an independent uh, independently published. The trouble with comic uh, comic fiction is that it doesn't. It's not really a genre. You can have like yeah. comic uh, comic thrillers comic uh, romance comic mystery but the comic book i mean you have you know 
PG Woodhouse, uh, Sue Towns, I know, coming up uh, later, you know, um, Evelyn War. And, and so the comic novel is a kind of much, much more of a niche sort of thing, really. But so Joseph Heller, you know, his comic, uh, his comic novels are, are they're, they're, they're sort of, funny but they're also kind of brutal and bleak and, and, uh, yeah, and again this was a, 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 a deliberately choosing the first book the Beatles book you know which had such a kind of books books we think of books you know we've all generally yeah. I guess we'll think of novels or uh, a little more of non-fiction nowadays I think but but that books can do so much, and they just the the when you're in when you're immersed in a book and you're in that world, you know, there's just nothing like that. And I just really love, you know, being um, uh, uh, being late to that party. Um, so um, something happened. It's just a, it's it's well, permanently bleak and funny, <laughs> and nothing so, happens. Well, so does nothing happen in something happens? Because I was going to say well, that sort of happens. yeah. That's sort of as much as I'm prepared to to give away. But um, oh, so it's a it's a funny book, but it's like by telling it, if if you told me it wouldn't be funny anymore, is that kind of uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's hard, it's hard. But it was the I guess it was you know it's the first book he wrote after Catch Twenty Two, and I yeah. imagine you know it was the it was the the difficult second album. Yeah, um, and it's not his most popular book, but it does it it it. it, it if you stick with it, it has its rewards, I would say. Okay, well, that's good to know because I like those kind of, I like hearing about those kind of books. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, haven't, I don't think I've ever read, I've, I remember seeing the film of Catch 22, which was yeah. fantastic. And I don't think I've ever read it, but uh, I'm almost tempted to read this first and see what happens. So I can read Catch 22. <laughs> yeah. It's not as funny as Catch 22, yeah. but then Catch 22 is also very dark. So bring on the dancing books, Tim. Yes, here we go. I spent almost 10 minutes working on this animation this week. Oh. So. <laughs> right, and the next book is The Free Winning John Dowie by John Dowie. Yes, that's right. Yes, so uh, I wanted to be um, a writer and then and I wanted yeah. to be a rock star, of course, as we all did. Um, and I ended up as a as a musical comedian and um this was the man who kind of made all that possible really yeah. and it was um in 1976 i suppose um the music scene was completely blown away by by punk and yeah. then punk became i don't know you're probably maybe too young to remember this era tim i think but uh it was just uh it it, it the uh, summer of 1977 was just an amazing time it was this queen silver jubilee and also the sex pistols brought out god save the queen which whatever john lydon says now uh however much he pretends that it was a uh, it was a, a, an homage to the queen you know <laughs> yeah. uh the fascist regime they made yeah. you a moron there's i'm not quite sh can't quite he can't equate yeah. that but but john was um he he uh, there was a lot of humour in punk, and one of the first people to come out of the the punk time was John. And John Dow was actually on the first the first Factory record, a Factory the which included um, Joy Division, uh, the, a certain ratio, and the Duritti column, I think. And he was he was one of the people on it. And I 
I loved, you know, I instantly loved it. And it's, uh, uh, in fact, he was he was what made me get into punk. A friend yeah. of mine had a record of his, and he played it to me, and I thought, oh, God, this is this is who I want to be. <laughs> yeah. I, I love John. I know him well. And I saw him last week, and he's a wonderful human being. Um, and I, I haven't ever said this to him. <laughs> I realise I'm saying it now, but I actually, I wanted to be, when I was 17, yeah. I, did, I wanted to be John Dowie. And coincidentally, he was the best stand-up comedian in the 1980s. There was just nobody who came anywhere near him in the 1980s um and um you know he, it's unfortunate that he was just he was just like about two years too far ahead of his time mm. and he was just brilliant for an hour he would do a brilliant hour show but at the time that he was doing it there weren't really people doing hour shows and stuff yeah. we were all doing 15 20 minutes and if there could have been a way, you know, that he could yeah. have carried on doing that for another year or so. He would have been, and he was just way ahead, way ahead of all of us, really. Everybody who ever saw John in the mid 1980s said, "Oh, oh yeah, John Dowie was alternative comedy." Oh, and then yeah. everybody else was kind of, and by everybody else at this time, there's people like Harry Enfield, Joe Brand, Jack yeah. D, Paul Merton, all the people who've gone on to be massively successful. They were just you know, just starting out, really. But he was fantastic. And, uh, you know, this is a great book. I recommend it because um, um, it's, it's it kind of tells a lot of that story, really, and how it kind of – he was the, the right man in the, or the wrong place at the right time or whatever, whatever it is, anyway. Well, uh, I mean, those are, the, those are the kind of stories that in some ways yeah. are much more relatable to people. Very much so. I'll, I'll just read you the get the opening uh, on the back. It says, in the yeah. 70s, John Dowie invented alternative comedy. Yep, I'd yeah. like to say that. At the end of the 80s, he abandoned it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, and that that's true, and that's very sad, but there you go. Oh, so, well, uh, on to the next book, which is kind of different. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh. And here we go, the rhyme, Penguin oh. Rhyming Dictionary by Rosalind Ferguson. For, yeah, so and again, unfortunately, I don't have a copy here because of um, my office is being all done up and everything's in <laughs> You said that in the way. same way that they said, unfortunately, uh, Rosalind can't be here can't to be pick up her award. And all that too, you know. Yeah. I mean, Rosalind, I've never met you, but thank you so much. That book has been just a constant companion for me. And a lot of people, you know, when you write um, rhyme, rhyming jokes, as, as I have done for a long time, um, you know, there, a lot of people say, oh, that's cheating, you know. But it's not really because I kind of already have the sort of head that, yeah. that does come up with this stuff. And uh, But I think it's possibly, uh, I, I think Rosalind is probably personally responsible for my favourite rhyme that I ever managed in a horrible history song about uh richard the third which managed to remind uh that managed to rhyme uh can you imagine it i was the last plantagenet and uh <laughs> i'm very very pleased with that yeah. uh you know but i couldn't get to those things necessarily without the the rhyming diction it's a great book it's just a fantastic you know think of just say a word any word random word now tim haggis haggis okay mm -hmm. 
Haggis, right? And sadly, I don't have the book here, but you'd go to like you'd look up Haggis yeah. in the in the uh, index, and it would say Haggis. Um, Haggis. And then there'd no. be like uh, <laughs> I can't think of any words. <laughs> well, no, it would probably have a, the it would go to the is rhyme, which is yeah. like you know maybe sort of number thirty-eight point one is. Well, I know it's not 38.1, because yes. I know that's ick, but that shows what a rhyming dictionary nerd I am. Um, but if it is, and so there'll be uh, this, there'll be the single syllable, this, miss, whist, this, whatever. Uh, and then two syllables uh, might be kind of, uh, uh, there might be like, it might be in the same list as um, Paris or uh, yeah. uh, um Maris, yeah, Niles' yeah. <laughs> wife, uh, yeah, but Haggis, uh, but again, with what Paul McCartney taught me, I sub subconsciously took, I'd probably find something that uh, this bag is, or something yeah. like that, I would probably find yeah, a way to, to, to do that. Yeah, so uh, no, a great, a, a, that's just the best book for me, and um, you know, long may it continue to be my muse. Yeah. Okay. And more of the animation. <laughs> and I suspect oh. <laughs> might be. Uh, I think it might be you under another pseudonym. It might be yes. Uh, I, I, don't, by, uh, I don't really know. Well, I do know why I did this because uh, I, I and all these sort of um, uh, things about self-publishing. They tell you to. Uh, if you've already written non-fiction, we'll come to my non-fiction in a bit, yeah. and then you're writing books about other stuff, um, you're, the, the, the Amazon algorithms will not look kindly on you if if you're the same Dave Cohen who's writing about this thing, but he's also writing a novel. So it's the sort of novelist name, but it's okay. I kind of I don't mind. I sort of quite like it. So, yeah. but it's it's kind of autobiographical and kind of about comedy as well, which is sort of what I write about. So, um, but it's also, it, it, it covers that period. A lot of which I've talked about already, which is that sort of from the age of about 17 uh, through to about 18 or 19. And I did go to the Edinburgh festival in 1979, 78 and 79. And in 1979, when I went there, I got to know uh, a young student called Rick Mayle. And um, yeah. he was, uh, we, we got quite sort of matey, really. And, and I, I was just incredible, really, because I went to see a show that he was doing with Aid Edmondson at the time, um, which was called uh, uh, Death on the Toilet. And uh, <laughs> yeah. it was uh, because, in fact, a year or two years earlier was when Elvis Presley had yeah. died on the toilet. And so they had this show called, and their company was called 20th Century Coyote. And uh, Rick was a big fan of the uh, the Roadrunner cartoon. Uh, yeah. And in fact, you see a lot of that influence on that sort of the Dangerous Brothers and Bottom uh, the, the, mm. with Aid Edmondson. You see a lot of that. And um, in the same way that, you know, the Beatles and the, the, the Mersey sound, that, that kind of had a sort of massive effect on me um, in my sort of teens, whatever. Then this show, Death on the Toilet, just changed everything for me because it was, uh, it sort of was, this was the comedy that was going to take over for the next 40 yeah. years. And this was just they, they were just students at the time and they were playing doing this show to in a room with you know five people in there 
and I happened to go because I'd met them in the pub uh, during a lull in one of the shows that I was doing, and we just got chatting, and we had mutual friends and things, and so, yeah. oh, I'll come and see your show, I'll come and see your show, whatever. and, you know, you went to see all these, everyone else's shows, and you just, and it was some terrible student review or something, <laughs> or some four-hour four hour Shakespeare uh, adaptation yeah. or something and this was just like an hour of so funny it was just the funniest again bleak yeah you can tell now you know i'm a i'm a bit of a bleak bleak but funny uh sort yeah. of uh, fan really and it but it was just great and rick mail was just the most sort of magnetic performer uh at age 19 as we as he was for the rest of his life you know it was just yeah, it was kind of almost otherworldly watching him doing what he did, and but it just opened up the possibilities and 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 made me think, oh yeah, this is what comedy is about. And I and I sort of thought about writing a writing a kind of non-fictional history of alternative yeah. comedy from my own experience, but I just thought that the the, the novel form in the end was kind of the the, the best way to do it. So, so, so is it is it a novel set within that? the start of alternative comedy yeah i mean it's sort of it starts in leeds where i grew up and then, yeah. and then it goes to uh, ends up in edinburgh um and it also encompasses all the sort of the, the 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 arrival of punk and how punk became alternative comedy and then i've got a couple more books i've got two more books in 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 the trilogy yeah. um which is uh, understandable because uh if there were more than two books, it wouldn't be a trilogy. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. so, yeah, so book two will be out uh, sometime this year, and that covers a period up to about 1984 um, when I really was sort of properly getting involved in comedy. And then the last book goes up to about 1987, I think. Um, so, so did you end up, I'm just going off piece here a bit, but... Did you end up going straight into comedy, or did you do something else and then end up? No, I, I book two is about the uh, again fairly autobiographical, but I did spend uh, yeah. two three years um, as a journalist. I trained as a journalist. Oh, okay. Uh, I worked on the Observer, which and everyone else, oh, that's that's uh, impressive. And then I say, uh, yeah, the Pontypridd Observer. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I lived in the in the uh, the valleys, South Wales valleys, for two years, um, and it was fantastic, really fantastic training for a writer. Um, yeah, you know, a you write about anything and everything. B you have a deadline. You know, you have if you don't get it written by four o'clock, then you you get you're out of a job so so uh so it's great it's a really good training and uh but i i i didn't want i it was at the time that it was the early 80s and that's when the all of the the, the alternative explosion began with the young ones and and alexi sale and things and so all these people that i'd known in the late 70s there they were suddenly on telly and everyone was going oh this is fantastic and there was me you know, in Pontypridd uh, Magistrates Court, <laughs> reporting on a speeding yeah. fine, thinking, "What? What happened? <laughs> how? How did I get here? You know, yeah. how did that happen? You know, three years ago, I was on the same path as that lot. You know, so um, that's book two. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I think I, this must go down as the biggest weird transition ever. But I'm going to put on the next uh, book. <laughs> Which is 
Emma, back to Jane Austen. Well, okay. Here we go. No, I'm, I'm sure we're okay for, for, for doing the opening opening paragraph because, um, yeah. this, you know, one. Uh, uh, so I, I did stand up comedy and I, I performed a lot and I wrote a lot and stuff. But in the re more recent years, I've been uh, wanting to become a better writer. And I think because I came from the sort of performing side of things, I didn't I I didn't have the discipline as of, of being a writer apart from, like I say, the journalism of deadlines and things. Yeah. And I've sort of ended up with this almost accidentally as a career of teaching writing, simply oh. because I wanted to learn. So te yeah. teaching comedy writing. And, um, you know, the, the, sh the reason that I haven't chosen anything by uh, Dickens or Shakespeare or Dostoevsky, who I absolutely love all of them, is because um, I'm really kind of focusing on the sort of what, in terms of my own life, what these books yeah. Uh, the, the, the sort of how they kind of impacted really, and um, so Emma uh, Jane Austen is just it, it's just a fantastic. I'm just looking for the uh, chapter one, so the the opening sentence of Emma, um, which is basically Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence, <laughs> and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her. And that's just, you just think, yeah. oh, this is great. You know, so Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition. You hate her already, she, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I listened to the audiobook of all of the Jane Austen collection. And yeah. It was obviously the original writing, and you can understand it and get the, there are a lot yeah. of books written around that time. You you struggle much with a lot of the language or, yeah. I mean, some of them are very misogynistic or, and or sexist or racist mm. or other stuff, but you can't say that Jane Austen yeah, no. is a really good writer and she tells yeah. fantastic stories. I mean, that's the thing. I love Tolstoy. I love Dickens yeah. and Dostoevsky. But, you know, I'm suddenly reading like a beautiful passage from Tolstoy and something. And then, and then, uh, then there's suddenly this the big, the, the, the grasping hook nosed Jew turns up on page <laughs> yeah. 164. Give yeah. me your, give me my money, you, you. Yeah, peasant and uh, stereotypes shoved in there yeah, in the middle. <laughs> oh, cringy! And but you yeah. know, you don't get any of that in Austin. But I love the fact that you know, this opening paragraph you it tells you the whole story. You know, you've just like, here's this woman who's nothing has ever gone wrong for, she's 21, uh, and she's had very little in the world to distress or vex her. So we just know that this book is going to be. Emma is going to get vexed and distressed and yeah. bloody hell we're going to enjoy it because she's rich and she's never had any, yeah. uh, anything and she'll come out of it as a heroine whatever you know so so that's kind of um that's why I chose that that book um for this section which is about teaching writing and so yeah uh, that can kind of bring us to the next book I suppose yes which is slightly transition back <laughs> I'm trying to fit in with your, your graphic here a bit. So. Yeah. There we go. So, yes, this is a book about which, uh, and again, as I say, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm very happy when people buy copies because then uh, my children get to wear shoes. And, uh, mm -hmm. uh, but 
again, I kind of wrote it for myself, really. I, I, I want to become a better writer, uh, even though I'm 64 now. And maybe some might say that my, my best writing years are behind me, but I don't know. I still, and I, so I really wonder, and, and, the, and actually even since I put, brought this out a couple of months ago, um, I've been thinking there are, you know, is it, is it possible to, to teach someone to become a better writer? And I think it is, you know, and I think, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, there are, there's, there's a sort of point, a final point where, you know, even when you've got to the point where you're in the, maybe the top, one percent of people who are very good at writing they then become there's that extra level where somebody is just kind of wow i don't know how they do that mm. um but it is possible i think to get to get to that point before whatever it is whatever the magic thing is that that separates out the the um joseph hellers and the jane austens from us mere mortals oh, yes. who, you know who can still do it you know and if you want to write and you love writing and that there are there are now ways of doing that and and it's true with comedy writing as well there are ways into the industry so it's what specifically um would you say about comedy writing so are there any because obviously you could have just written a writing book yeah there's specific to comedy that's in this book right the single the single clearest difference between comedy writing, which only goes to show how many similarities there are, because yeah. every story is the same. You know, a character has uh, a goal, and there are obstacles in the way, and the obstacles could be external, or they could be the character's flaw, or whatever, and somehow they overcome it. But the only difference in comedy, especially in sitcom, uh, they 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 go on the journey and you know in in anything other than comedy you go on the journey uh you get into peril all is lost and then bam you come through and you mm. come through the end and as aristotle calls it catharsis you know you've had this you, you've grown as a person you've grown as a as a human being uh in comedy you never grow <laughs> you never learn <laughs> you just don't learn from your mistakes you come back next week and you do the same thing and you mess up in the same way that you always mess up. You know, Basil Fawlty's lie, he's caught with a bare-faced lie, you know, and at the end of the episode, you just think, okay, so what's going to happen? Is he going to go, hmm, I've learned my lesson there. I'm mm. never going to lie again. Yeah, he just thinks, no, I'm going to have to lie better next time. And he tries to do it, and he still gets it. So that is the single, single main difference, really. That's, that's, that's probably not what I would have picked at all. That's like, um, but you, you, you. Out of interest, what would you have picked? I don't know. I was thinking it's like all oh, timing of jokes or something. I thought there might be some sort of like uh, thing with like don't do too many jokes at once or something yeah. like that. But that's probably more true for stand up, I guess. I mean, joke, jokes are, you know, obviously jokes are <laughs> what separates out comedy from from other things. Yeah. But, but you know, jokes are just surprises. And it, it's interesting how, uh, you know, if you watch a, um, a Jed Mercurio uh, police drama, you know, you're going to sit there that opening five, ten minutes just going, mm. oh, what's going to happen next? And, oh, my God. 
the house numbers the wrong way around and they've gone in mm. the wrong house, you know. But a joke is just sort of the equivalent of that, isn't it, really? Yeah. So uh there's no dialogue in Jed Mercurio, but it's all it's it's all surprises. It's all right. Oh, he's gonna go there. Oh, and he's gonna shoot that woman. Oh no, a little kid has just run in front. Oh god, you know. <laughs> um, so so it's the same in that sense. It's just you're not laughing. <laughs> you're yeah. hiding behind the sofa. It's time to move on. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, we can get on as long as we have to. So, <laughs> but maybe not twenty twenty four. No, we're we're, we're, we're let's. Uh, I got uh, let's um. We're running, be we're running behind here, aren't we? A little bit. Uh, yeah, we're not too bad. Not, too bad. For a comedian, my like timing is not great. So, um, um, Madonna by um, Shimanda Ngozi Adichie. Yeah, Maybe I didn't screw uh, that. Again, this this is a writer who I think. I mean, it's just just absolutely for someone who wants to learn how to write. You yeah. know, this she is just the most. Her, her books. Are fantastic. They they are managed to be like massive sprawling histories that tell huge stories of nations uh, yeah. and the continent, the continent of Africa specifically. But the stories are so you know they're just such little not they're not little they're epic, but they're just you know brothers and sisters and mums and dads and you know this is just a great this is like a character from Nigeria. And she comes, she, she goes to live in America in whenever it's set, you know, the noughts, I think, I'm just all the tens. The noughties. The noughties. Well, it's uh, published 2014. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, um, so this character is, basically about a character and she comes to America she writes a blog about what's it like being a Nigerian in, in America and then the blog that becomes a big story but it's a, it's such a again for a writer it's just such a simple device really simple device yeah. but it, uh, to, to, the difference between what you know what could be a memoir or autobiography or whatever or and, and you know what is a novel and it just not you're just you know what every book are they, the best books are the books that you just go yeah and I want to keep reading and I want to keep reading and I just right. got to get it, to the a, end of it's book. a page turner to use the um, yeah um, lingo and, and publishers I, yeah and it, and it's how how you kind of resolve that contradiction of how do you tell small familial stories and but how do you kind of um how 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 do they play out against yeah. the backdrop of 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 you know, the sweeping backdrop of history and you know there's so much now there's so much good writing uh i, I mean you know there were very few I, I i didn't read many books when i was younger anyway and then in my sort of 20s and 30s i didn't i was reading mostly you know dickens and shakespeare or whatever there yeah. weren't many books by women out there and then gradually more and more and i got more and more and i found that the, uh, the, uh, there are so many women who are so good at telling those smaller stories against the bigger backdrop like rose tremaine was one who i really love and tyler and uh you know so there's a really um it, it's just um the, the 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 process of being able to tell stories is uh an, 
is is so much of what writing is about i think okay what happened next as they used to say on a question of sport yes exactly <laughs> all right it's time to go on talking about what happened next yeah that's what happened there Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, and oh yes, quite another quite different. Oh right, okay. Oh, so this is um, yeah, face to face British self-portraits in the twentieth uh, century by Philip Van. And yeah. uh, again, this is the thing. Uh, like I was saying right at the start about books, what are what, uh, what you know, what is a book? Is it a novel yeah. or whatever? And and really, there's just nothing like a book that has that you can look at pictures at, and it's fantastic. And this is just a great. Um, you know, this, this, this is just such a lovely book, and, and you know, you won't, you'll know if you don't know anything about art, you know, you will still know at least um, twenty of the people in these books. I'm just uh, in the book. I'm just trying to look up the list of names of of, of some of the painters who are included in here, uh, and they're all, you know, uh, Sickert, uh, Walter Sickert. Um, I think there's uh, yeah, there's Lucian Freud. Um, I'm just picking out the, the names that you will know, Francis Bacon. Um, so they're all so all the all the people you've ever heard of, um, Henry Moore, are in here. But then just along the way, you, you know, you just find a story, and you know, you find a picture, and you just go, God, it's just a fantastic picture. And I, I, I think art books are just the great. Mm. You know they, they, they are I like this just a sort of typical page. Mm. You just um, yeah. I, I, coincidentally, uh, I should mention I've I've known Philip all my life. Really, oh, yeah. we grew up together in in Leeds, and he's my yeah. he's my sort of uh, twin, really. Um, <laughs> but he's written dozens of books about art and things. And uh, oh, he's got the one I've just noticed here he's got a book of. Uh, Terry Terry Frost, Terence Frost, oh. I think, who is the um, father of a comedian friend of mine, uh, Steve Frost. And, oh. um, is there anybody you don't know? No, <laughs> I know everyone. <laughs> <laughs> it's just one of those things, you know. I am yeah. the I am the zealot of the uh, British yeah. of comedy world. Uh, uh, Jacob Kramer. There's a whole. I, I, yeah. I'm going to write. I'm hoping. To write a novel about him one day, he's from a oh, famous okay. artist from Leeds. Yeah, uh, his story is just incredible. And again, like like Mel Brooks and Joseph Heller, he came. Well, he was he fled. He was from uh, Belarus, born yeah. in Belarus in eighteen ninety two. His parents and uh, they fled, and they fled to St Petersburg. Yeah. Uh, so he fled when he was four, but. Even St. Petersburg wasn't enough. So he fled again when he was eight. So he went oh, uh, yeah. to Belarus, St. Petersburg, Leeds. <laughs> so that, that no, is one, no wonder his life <laughs> so commented. But there you go. So right. um, so yeah. Right. So that's uh, a great a great book. Love that book. And Philip is a great writer as well. So yeah. uh, if you're into art books, pick up one by Philip. <laughs> right. Transition. And um, okay. I guess you know this guy, <laughs> Harry Hill, famous uh, comedian. Yeah, I chosen this partly because, uh, mostly because, you know, when, you've got, name, when you've got small <laughs> children, you're always looking for books yeah. to read. And, you know, luckily uh, for my kids, you know, 
it was they 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 were around the time that he was just making books. Uh, in fact, yeah, a complete history of Tim. Yeah, uh, not to be confused with yourself. Uh, Tim is a tiny <laughs> horse here. Yeah. Uh, so, it's, uh, yeah, it's so, a skit on the yeah. whole complete history of time. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's sort of, as I mentioned, you know, so to Tim, a conquer was a major obstacle there, as yeah. you see. Uh, a crinkle in a piece of paper was a real hurdle. So that's a, and you know, this is just the thing about Harry was that, he, and there the are a number of comedians I mentioned, uh, Rick Maland, uh, John yeah. Dowie, and things. And, uh, the, the, a lot of the, uh, the comedians who, you know, most comedians, I would say, take years uh, to find their voice. Um, yeah. You know, they do you have to do dozens of gigs, hundreds of gigs, maybe. And then one day, you know, gradually just the experience of doing the gigs makes you, you know, you, you, you kind of find your voice and you find who you are. And Harry was fully formed from day one. And uh, it was quite amazing because he used to die really horribly. <laughs> um, and uh, but he was—he never seemed bothered by it. And yeah. you know, we all kind of loved and admired him because you—you know—you love. We all thank God it wasn't me tonight. Was always the sort of feeling that you had. But it was just that he knew what he was doing. He knew what he wanted to do. He knew how to do it. And it was all in place. You know, the kind of joke that starts, he says a line of a joke and then doesn't say any more of it. And gradually, gradually the punchline comes mm. out at the end of 20 minutes. Um, and just, just non sequiturs and weird, surreal pictures in your head and stuff. And, you know, audiences didn't always get it, but eventually he learned stagecraft and just mm. did it. But, was in the better just, that was it and you know from never looked back from that point and and yeah. so you know good to him and and it's great book you know everything he's ever done i think or most of the things he's ever done yeah. have you know have appealed massively across generations and things and that's uh you know that i love that i i i wish i could bring that childlike sense to everything that i do and i try to do that okay it's the disappearing title, which you know what it means. Yeah. The next book, which is uh, The Do uh, Dog is Thirsty by uh, Satoshi. Satoshi Kitamura. Yeah. So this is a great, uh, again, this is a fantastic book for kids. Uh, I, I don't know uh, if I'm, again, I, I mean, I could read the entire book. Uh, it's <laughs> It is exactly 22 words long. Oh, okay. It's just yeah, such a great book for kids. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's a, it's about a dog. A dog book. is thirsty. Yeah. It's called. And there's the first page. Yeah. Dog is thirsty. And there's just, it's just, you know, just look at that. And there's just so many things going on in this, in this yeah. uh, bit. What sort of age think. range of kids would you say it's for? Well, yeah. this one, I mean, it was sort of uh, kind of, you know, to one, two, three years old, but I think you know they up to about five or six. They would yeah. still love to look at it because it's just such such fun to look at. Yeah. You know, there's nothing to drink. Uh, it's too high. Uh, it's too dirty, mm. and you know, and it's too low or whatever. And and then you know, <laughs> they've just just got this great picture here. This is my favourite picture, and it says, "What a life." <laughs> and it's, you know, I think that could sum up most people's lives. Yeah, and then it rains, and then it yeah. rains, and that's it. You know, it's a 
beautiful three-act story told in 22 yeah. words there and and the pictures are great and that's uh, and again you know it's just a book isn't it it's a yeah. but it's a story and we want to know what's going to happen in the story that's uh that's what i loved about that book right and the next one is another children's book -ish. Right. i remember I... listening to this is on the radio when oh, i was a kid okay. <laughs> I'll very quickly go through these next three because they're sort of, I'm probably not saying much more that I haven't already said about books that, that kind of, each of well, these books, they change I the way. I think we need to say something so I can yeah. cut it out. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, but no, I mean, doesn't I'm, know what the book is about. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Hmm. I think I just mean in terms of, the effect it's had on me and it's a similar oh, yeah. to like Americana but uh, The Secret Diary of Adrian Mole uh, Sue Townsend and Sue Townsend it's is funny, yeah. a name I mentioned earlier yeah she she is a, a, a comic novelist uh, and all the books are funny and again they have a the requisite bleakness required for me to enjoy it, uh, <laughs> but they're just they're, 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 they've just got everything, and you know they're, they're each I've got all the there's eight books in the series, and that's ability to to write in the voice of a thirteen year old or the, yeah. or in a sixteen year old or in a, a twenty nine year old you know man. She 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 has this incredible ability. This character is just such a wonderful uh creation and I, I i was absolutely chuffed to bits that i got because of the review one of the reviews that i got for my barry goldman book was that uh, uh david quantic said it was that he he's the jewish adrian mole of alternative comedy <laughs> which was just i thought that is just the biggest uh the nicest thing that anyone could say about my writing to to, to yeah. compare it with that was just sort of you know that's I'm I'm that quote goes everywhere now. You know, um, so I mean, just the reading the back of this. You know, Friday, January the second. I felt rotten today. It's my mother's fault for singing my way at two o'clock in the morning at the top of the <laughs> stairs. And, uh, just my luck to have a mother like her. There's a chance my parents could be alcoholics next year. I could be in a children's home. <laughs> it catches just so much of that yeah. era. You know, really dialogue um, in it, isn't it? Yeah, and it's um, you know, so it, they they kind of came out in the eighties, and they were set in the eighties. And the next one is is all about sort of Margaret Thatcher and the Falklands War and things. And it it it, it catches brilliantly satirically and historically the the, the each era, um, but again, and it does it with with these sort of little these these this returning uh, list of characters, you know, mm. uh, and um, they, they, they're, they're all there, or quite a few of them are there. Pandora's there in book one, and uh, yeah. you know the parents. Are, and, uh, yeah. yeah, and they're all, and it's just great, really. You know, it's just a great uh, history. It's a great. It's as it's as good as any social history of Britain that you'll read. You know, I mean, don't yeah. bother with Dominic Sambrook. Just read uh, Sue Townsend. Yeah, <laughs> you, get, you, you get to laugh as well. So. Yeah. So that was the reason that I, I, you know, and again, I, I, um, I love the way that um, she um, 
portrays that time. So this is the so oh, the great animation. I've I've given away the plot. You've given away the plot. It's Cat's Eye. Cat's Eye, Margaret Atwood. Margaret Atwood again is a phenomenal. Uh, yeah. You know, just not not just writer but activist and everything as well. But you know, her books are always. Um, Kind of quite gripping and scary yeah. sometimes, and I, I actually um, she's not really comic though, is she? Or, or... Some of the books that she's written have got some, you know, some sort of great. There's a sort of few books of hers. Um, Oryx and Crake, I think, is a really interesting book. Some some of her kind of future predicting the future stuff is. Sort of a bit Kurt Vonnegut, a little bit yeah. Douglas Adams, you know. She she has this animal, the pig, the pigoon, which is a kind of cross between a pig and a uh, a raccoon. That's just that, and 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 they're kind of they've sort of got a little bit clever now, and they're sort of giving the humans a hard time, you know. And uh, but there's there's this the only humans who survive in Oryx and Crake are these are these people who went to these sort of uh exclusive institutes like you know stanford or mit whatever and they they've managed to build themselves their their little kind of world separated out from you know they're, they're like a kind of set almost like a becoming a separate species and this is a book that was written i know 20 years ago yeah. way before ai and everything but you can really sort of it's, it's really quite quite so what about this particular book then? <laughs> well, what was interesting about this book was uh, it was well, I think it's her first novel, but also oh. it's about uh, you know, and we all know about bullying, you know, yeah. and we've all heard about the bully, the book about the bully and the person being bullied and stuff, yeah. and you know, it's about a bully. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey, I'm a bully. Ah, uh, what a great that that that's that's basically you know. Is uh, it from her being the bully or? Being yeah, the, 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 the read. I mean, it's years since I read the book, so yeah. uh, I can't remember exactly. But what I remember is a sort of school schoolgirls, and the the main yeah. character is a kind of uh, is 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 not a, not a nice piece of work, and yeah. it's just. But, but I mean, isn't you know. It's the, we understand why they're like what they are, and that—that's great. That's another great thing, you know. You, you don't, and, and it's the thing with comedy as well. You don't have to like the, the character. No, I think it probably helps not to in some way. Yeah, <laughs> to understand, to understand yeah. why they are, why they are, who they are, really. Right. So, talking about the next, yeah, which is the which prime is, minister. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of these have not been nice people. <laughs> yeah. Well, and again, this is something that, um, you know, uh, having apologised to um, Paul McCartney earlier on, I should now uh, apologise to John Major. I, I, John Major was Prime Minister just at the time that I was reading a lot of these kind of big, heavy yeah. Victorian books. And he was on some interview and he said, oh, my favourite uh, author is uh, Anthony Trollope. Uh, and I thought, right, so that that mental note, John Major likes Anthony Trollope, never ever touch an Anthony Trollope book. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it took about sort of five, I don't know, five or ten years later, I just came ac across, I can't remember why or what for whatever reason, but I read the, um, a book um, which I think was um, kind of, uh, He Knew He Was Right, I think, which is just a lovely book. Yeah. And there's a character who uh, is a 
like a Jewish character who's a politician. Uh, and it's like, oh my God, a, a sympathetic Jewish character in a Victorian novel? What's yeah, going on yeah. here? You know? um, but also you read it, you read the book and you went, oh my God, this is Robert Maxwell. <laughs> He's yeah. written Robert Maxwell 100 years earlier. And then they made a TV show of it. And it was a bit silly because they actually made him look like Robert Maxwell. Oh. So, uh, I think it was um, John Suchet or somebody like that. Uh, or uh, the one who's the actor, David Suchet. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, but... The, oh, yes, I know what it was. I know what got me into Trollope. It was um, the, um, the 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 um, Barchester Chronicles. That was it. Oh. The TV version of the Barchester Chronicles, uh, and they were it had been adapted for TV by Alan Plater, who was one of my all time hero yeah. writers, great playwright, great TV writer, um, and. Um, I, and I watched this show, the Barchester Chronicles, and it was just brilliant. And Alan Rickman's in there, and um, Donald Pleasance, a fantastic cast, brilliant books, really beautiful to watch. And I just thought, oh, I'd like to get into this. So I, I ended up with it. And this is, uh, the Barchester Chronicles is six books. Yeah. So um, this is the uh, the Prime Minister is one of six books. It's the oh, Pal okay. Palliser series, and it's about this character. Who become ends up becoming prime minister, but it's, uh, there's, there's lots of uh, people along the way as well who. Uh, so can, can you read it on, your, on its own, or do you have to read it in series? I think you can read it on its own, actually. Yeah, I, 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 I the series is uh, the series sort of takes place over about sort of 25, 30 years. Yeah. And it's kind of very much based around the politics of that era, Gladstone and uh, yeah. um, Disraeli. And, 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 and there are, they are kind of, they're not really, yeah. there's nobody you go, oh, that's Disraeli or that's yeah. Gladstone. But, but I guess if you know that history period really well, you would probably recognise them. But they do stand alone, yeah. I think I, and I think I read them out of order, actually. I think I read oh, okay. Prime Minister was the first one that I read. I think it's book three or four. That's uh, okay. uh, so, yeah, the fifth of the six novels. So, <laughs> okay. you know, so well, yeah, you yeah. can. Yeah. It's worth reading it from book one, I think. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. And it's a long title, The Perpetual Astonishment of Jonathan Fairfax by Christopher Chabellin. Yeah, right. Uh, notice the spelling of Jonathan there that is correct. And this is a book. Now, you won't know this, and nobody watching this will know, except for Chris, who's probably watching, because I told him I was going to do this. Uh, Chris is probably one of the most um, successful comic novelists in Britain. Um mm -hmm. He's written these three three books over a period of ten years. The, the the Jonathan Fairfax book, and Jonathan Fairfax is basically the the shy detective, um, and it's just really funny. They're just really funny books. I'll just read you the opening line of of perpetual yeah. assault with Jonathan Fairfax. Being murdered is a surprisingly effective way of losing weight. Um, <laughs> that's true yeah uh, just just you know you're just gonna want to carry yeah. on reading that book aren't you really that's lovely so the whole you know just the whole first two or three pages is, is about how annoying 
uh, you know, because she'd been kind of trying to lose weight all her life, and now mm. she's been stabbed to death. And uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, she was trying to look on the bright side, but uh, you know, the, the the but she knew she. How could she? Because she knew she was just about to die. You know? So, so is it a comic murder mystery then? Or yes, it? it is comic murder. He's written three yeah. of these, and I've got to meet him online you know as everybody has done in the last yeah. three or four years i was just kind of fascinated that somebody that and 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 this is part of my own you know again part of my own journey of into the world of uh, independent publishing which i know you know very well and you have yeah. lots lots of really uh you know kind of interesting stuff to that 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 you've done in that in that area but it is you know i was very much sort of person who three or four years ago thought oh self-publishing oh gosh yeah. no it's just vanity publishing or it's not real publishing and and it's just you know christopher has got a massive following you know he's sold yeah. you know, six figures of books you know he, and 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 they're good funny books but you won't see them in your local waterstones i think unless you ask for them um yeah. And you know he does it all himself, and I, th I think he does his own covers. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, and they're all you know they all look the same. He's got a good brand, and he's brought out some other book. Yes, yeah, so there's the uh, there's all the, the three the trilogy there. Oh, oh yes, various people yeah. stick men in death poses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The spy who came in from the bin, which I haven't read. Oh, yeah, looking forward to that. So uh, yeah, I, I really like his style. Very, very, very funny. Very, very unassuming kind of uh, uh, just bafflement, bafflement yeah. of the world, and lovely sort of British understated humour. Okay, and. Underland, uh, a deep uh, time journey by Robert yeah. McDonough. This is a book uh, that's kind of really made me sort of, um, as I get older, Tim, <laughs> God, <laughs> I sound like a pompous oaf. Uh, no, but I do, you know, I, I, I sort of, you know, now that I'm in my 60s, I sort of think, you know, which is going to, who's going to last longer, me or the planet? Uh, yeah. and, uh, it's and uh, you know the, the the more I think about about it, it just all comes back to the thing that my mum always said to me uh, when I was little, which is you know leave leave it leave the places you find it, you know, and just that I, I I for me the what's what's what what is the overarching thing in my life you know what's left in my life and that's uh i'd quite like to leave the planet as i found it really um and i know that's not going to be possible because we've we've done so much to destroy it but uh books like this are great i mean there are hundreds of books out nowadays about nature and, and yeah and, and uh the, the environment and, so, and they're really you know they've they've, they've something for everybody really interesting books about birds and trees and wildlife and stuff but this is an amazing book because this is about what's what's beneath us and yeah. it's, it's fascinating because what is beneath us is what we were kind of hundreds of thousands of years ago you know and 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 it sort of asks the question you know what what's what is a person if there is going to be such a thing in a hundred thousand years time going to make of us 
Mm. And what they'll have is this sort of compacted version of what we live in now, in the same way that you could go, you know, you go into caves and you see mm. what was what was like that. And in the meantime, along the way, and it, and it's you know, it's it's not an it, it's it's just a, a journey. It's like a, uh, a, a Robert McFarlane, beautiful writer about nature, but you know, he's a he's a he's like a journalist, a chronicler. He's not a yeah. novelist, but it reads like a novel. I mean, nice. it, does, it is really like a novel, and you know, and it includes stuff that I had read a little bit about before. But he writes so beautifully about the, uh, the tree roots, how tree. Yeah. And this is a relatively recent discovery, like twenty, thirty years, I think. That that you know, trees communicate. Uh, there's just so much going on underneath us. So when you see a tree, the bit that we see is kind of the almost the irrelevant bit. Yeah. And you know, there's kind of the leaves that come out and shed, or a twig that snaps off, or whatever. That's not really. And it, it, the trees are still there. The trees were there when I was born. They'll still be there when I die. And you know, the, the they're just and and they survive because they've just got this incredibly intricate system of of helping each other. They they are socialists underground. The, <laughs> the tree, the tree to net. Yeah. Yeah, the World Wide Web of Roots, really. And, uh, you know, sometimes a tree is so weak that they have to leave it to die. But generally, if yeah. a tree is ill, it gets healed by the roots from the other trees. And it's just, you know, I mean, we can learn so much for ourselves. But it's that's just one element. I mean, it's fantastic. It's a really uh, fascinating book. And you just kind of, it's about things that you just don't really yeah. imagine are possible. Uh, but yeah, right. that is them. And on to this book, which um, right. I suppose nobody else has ever mentioned, but Atomic Habits by James Clear. Oh, that's interesting because it's a massive, phenomenally successful book. And yeah. really, James, you don't need me to help you, James. I think it, uh, <laughs> you know, you've sold 10 million books already, but it's worth it. And I don't have a copy because I got it actually got it on my uh on my phone yeah. um but i've read it once and i will reread it because it is just uh a really good there are there are so many kind of what i, I don't know there's a hot there's a whole industry of productivity hack books yeah. uh the word hack meaning i discovered actually this this last week that the hack the word hack comes from uh hackney and um hackney hackney carriages and in fact that a hack is um if you can't you couldn't people couldn't afford horses to travel so they just got the first they were just given any old horse to do the job for them and the horses were all around this area of east london uh and that's where the word hack comes from um sorry but atomic habit is <laughs> i'll just waffle on <laughs> Why is this a good book and how has it helped you? It's good. Uh, I'll tell you why. Because so many of these kind of self-help books are about uh, goals and achievements and yeah. do this and do that. And about, you know, you could be better than them and you could do that. And this is all about uh, making yourself better, making you better than you were yesterday. Yeah. Rather than fighting to be this and be that and be that. It's sort of like, well, what am I doing today? that I can change and what's, you know, and it doesn't have to be like a massive thing. Well, over time, it will be a massive thing. If I can change 
a thing by 1% today and I could change it by 1% tomorrow and 1%. Mm-hmm. And by the end of the year, then I've changed it by, you know, 365%. So, uh, it, and, and it, it is kind of, you know, obvious when you say it, but and it is really hard to do, but it's definitely has helped me in many ways and many habits, uh, that I have um, inculcated for myself since I've been uh, since I've taken on this new role of self-publishing. So it's not just being a writer; I'm now a, a publisher. And yeah, uh, you know, publishing I'm, business, yeah, yeah. And I mean, to, to it's so much bloody hassle yeah. and effort involved, and you just want to write, but you know, you can't. You have to do all the other stuff as well. Yeah. And writing every day, whatever, whether it's writing novels or or sitcom or whatever um having that daily habit has helped me a lot really and helped given me a lot of clarity um but it isn't just about writing it's about everything else you know getting to sleep at a certain time waking up at a certain time and and, and it's um it's talk about nominative determinism i mean it's the clearest it, by a long way it is the clearest book i've read that that and it doesn't and it's quite scientific as well i think it doesn't sort of try to be it could so easily there are so many books out there you know this book will change your life and and they're they're written in hyperbole and things this is just a a lovely little it's just 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 really the way that it explains how to improve your habits it's just just um you know really well written okay and the next book uh, is Man Search for Meaning, which I actually put on the uh, show thing before the other one, but this has been mentioned before as well, actually. It has, yeah? Yes. Uh, I'm not surprised, actually, and I mean, this really does, uh, we're going deep now, so this is a book, Viktor Frankl was uh, a a concentration camp survivor, Uh, went on to live for many, many years, really, uh, 40 years, I think, beyond and uh, he kind of never lost his uh, belief in humanity, and uh, and, uh, and uh, you know he found he finds it, it's it's a remarkable book. It's very short, um, very short book, and it's actually only only the first half of it is about his um, mm-hmm. experiences. And he he is in that he says I'm not trying to be scientific or anything I'm just telling you like it is and just some some, some of the stuff that he talks about it's just um, you know it's just so kind of powerful and uh, I've talked before earlier about the ban- banality of of, of yeah. language and things and there is something so and and I th- I don't think he was the one who came up with the phrase the banality of evil but I mean there is so much uh, and, and and also within, you know, even within the concentration camp, there are there are uh, s- s- soldiers, German soldiers, who are sympathetic and who mm. you know, who kind of keep help help some of the people. And you've also got, but you've also got the uh, the the guard, the, some of the prisoners who become the capos. They become yeah. kind of do the work of the guards for them, really. Um, and they all stay well fed, and uh, but meanwhile he's with the, the, the and it's just it's about how can you how how without trying to without 
again, referring to James Clear and referring to these sort of American the hyperbole and change your mindset mm-hmm. thing. But it is about the mindset that you have when you are in the midst of the most appalling suffering. Yeah. And it's like, that's just a sort of subtle way of how you think about it. And I, there is a, I'd like to just sort of, if I can, just find this little quote and read it uh, about yeah. those who survived versus those who didn't. And the ones who didn't, he, he said, by and large, their their question was, um, will, we survive, will we survive the camp? Because uh, uh, if we don't survive, then all this suffering has no meaning. Mm-hmm. And they're, you know, they're, 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 they're starving and they're just you know disintegrating as people really um and he said that the question which beset me was has has the suffering itself and the dying around us does it have a meaning um and if so then there is a meaning to survival because yeah. uh you know that if your life if the meaning of your life depends on that survival then it's not worth then you know and unless it's depending on survival, then it's not worth living. And that's kind of just, it's a a subtle difference, but it's the difference between life and death. It's being, uh, and and it's like having a, a such a curious, almost like a curiosity of, and he he said, you know, like he says, he'd always had this thing. And even if he had pain, there was a, he would have a curiosity about the pain, about what does this, what is this pain? What does it mean? You know, and, and, and that, the sort of how he survived, really. But I mean, it's it, uh, picking out one thing here or there. It's just I'm not really doing justice to to the book. And I read this book again. I read it about two months ago, and I I, I genuinely can't wait to read it again because I just think that every line just made yeah. me go, "Oh yeah, that's a really good point." Oh, and that, and that, yeah. Okay. I think we're on to our last book now. Yes. Um, we've got one. Oh, we've got two viewers now. One of them might be Greta Thunberg. You know I mean? Yes. Oh, I just lift up this huge book. No one is too small to make a difference. Greta by Greta Thunberg. Uh, if you're watching, uh, Greta, happy yeah. 20th birthday. It's Greta's yeah. 20th birthday today. Ooh. And um, this lovely little book. And again, this is a book, you know, these are the books that have that kind of changed my thinking, you know. Yes. And, you know, you're never too old to change your views. I mean, you've got to, you have to change your views, really. Otherwise, you become a bitter and twisted old, you know, old, uh, old, old dog, really. But, um, it's just such a simple book, and, there's, there's, and again, you, you just cannot argue uh, with the logic of it. And uh, you know, I, in fact, if it's just just to, just to read the, the the titles of the the chapters, really, yeah. uh, prove me wrong. <laughs> That's just, yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, what a great title! Uh, you're acting like spoiled, irresponsible children. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah, true. Been true yeah. about most of the time. Uh, <laughs> you know, t- together yeah. we are making a difference. Yeah, I mean, it's just I, I just think there is such a simplicity in this, and and to come back to Robert McFarlane and the, the the trees, you know, together they they ensure the survival of trees. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, our house is on fire. That's another another chapter uh, title. Um, again, this was a talk that she gave. Um, I mean, there are ways in which 
and I, I I understand the argument of when people say we've got ten years, you know, to mm. sort this out, or twelve years to sort this out. It does make some people go, well, why bother then if it's if if it's only you know, yeah. Well, I mean, you I have, think, sorry, if they put the same level of activism they did towards as they did towards the COVID virus into proper, I mean, it's things like nuclear fusion and all the rest of it. There are. I haven't, there are things that can be done, and it's just yeah. rather than necessarily arguing, just do the things, whatever your viewpoints on it. If you if they do all these things and they don't make it, it's irrelevant, it doesn't matter. But if they yeah. are relevant and we don't do it, that's always like, yeah. the precautionary principle coming out. And I think I'd like to end on one thing which is relevant to this book, and but yeah. it's also relevant to everything I think about in you know my search for meaning or whatever yeah. having having trawled my own life for about the last hour and a half uh, yeah. it's been a weird experience but i've really enjoyed it but you know uh, as as one learns if you spend enough time looking at the environment and and the sort of what's what the possibilities are um there there's no such thing as a solution there yeah. are there are only trade-offs and that wasn't me who yeah. said that i can't remember who said that but there, there are no solutions there are only trade-offs and i think that's just such a kind of great thing because it's you know if you're looking for a solution you know you're wasting your time because as yeah. soon as you find a solution and it's true you know when you write a book or something or mm. when you write a script comedy script or whatever you know there's going to be something new will come along and that will challenge it and that's you know that's what being human is about really and so you know let's do these things knowing that okay we're not gonna uh i'm not gonna stop people driving their cars but you know let's yeah. let's find a way let's find a solution around this somehow and we're gonna have to do a trade-off somewhere and like you say covid you know very quickly mm. we traded our independence for, um, mm. for being allowed to live, you know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> and, well you know, where where it didn't happen, yeah. where people were told, oh, you don't have to wear masks or whatever, you know, or people said, I'm not wearing a mask, you know. Yeah. A lot of them died. And so that was their trade-off, you know. They went, they died mm. thinking, well, I didn't want to wear a mask. Okay, I've died, but, you know, that was my choice. Um so you know, that's that's where we are. On that jolly note, <laughs> well, I actually had a even though we were massively over time, but really on Amazon Live it doesn't matter because they tell you to keep going as long as possible. But I'm, like, I'm sure right. you've got other things to do it. But you're like, yeah. but I, I wanted to ask you a question about alternative comedy. Okay. Why do you think that alternative alternative comedy developed when it did in the nineteen seventies, stroke eighties? Uh, I think we were ready for it because my generation, and you know, I've mentioned these people like uh, Rick Mail and Joe Brand, Harry and Phil Jack Dean. We're all kind of of a similar age, yeah. um, and we grew. We were probably the first generation to uh, look at what had come through in the sixties and seventies. And kind of uh, which itself had grown out of the sort of post World War consensus, and so the comedy of the seventies and there was a lot of great stuff there, but a lot of it was just old fashioned. It didn't didn't speak to us. We knew 
there like there there was a w women were more you know yeah. they weren't just uh objects they they were people we knew more women we knew people from ethnic minorities and so when you saw these comedians on tv doing jokes about pakistanis or yeah. uh, black people and and it didn't talk to our generation and and we we didn't consciously go oh we're not you know we are and we are and non-racist we are non-sexist we didn't consciously go that we thought well actually we find these things funny we yeah. find this funny we don't actually find and uh, and it was as much audience driven as it was the, the the performers audiences came to watch us because yeah. they they didn't like jokes racist jokes they didn't like sexist jokes mm. they liked the kind of comedy we were doing and they, uh, and and it was funny what we were doing i think you know and at the time uh, i hope it was people were laughing so uh, <laughs> We well, managed make a career out of it if it wasn't. Yeah, no, I think I was very lucky, and my generation yeah. very lucky. And you know, forty years on, I'm not sure. You know, with COVID and everything else, it's a lot harder now to to, to get a career in comedy. But you know, I think that's what what happened in the '80s. People were ready for a a, a humour that wasn't based on uh, yeah. racist and sexist stereotypes. Yeah, we had a comment. Um, from somebody with the username Garth AP Thomas. That was brilliant. <laughs> Many thanks. So, oh, thank you, Garth. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, I think we're we're near to the one hour thirty time, so we should probably. Uh, <laughs> yes. Oh, that's, that's like uh, a great way to spend a Tuesday night. Or, uh, oh yes. And yes. It's the Amazon.com website, so it's probably only afternoon, I think, in the US. Oh, right. Okay. So I can go now and I can look at my Amazon uh, dashboard and find that hundreds of people have rushed out to get Barry Goldman and the complete comedy writer, yeah. Um, well, yeah, you, we can all hope. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I think quite a time. I mean, that's the thing. It's always On the first year, the first... No, not the first year. First two months I did this, I, I made a grand total of twenty cents. Uh, <laughs> but last year I made about a hundred dollars from revenue from affiliates from the show. So okay. you just keep yeah. building up things over time, and then eventually yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you'll be president of the world. Yes, Atomic Habits. That's what I need to do. Build yeah. my atomic habits. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, it's been Brilliant. so great talking to you this evening. Uh, well, it's been you. an absolute pleasure, Tim, and thanks ever so much for having me. Much appreciated. And this is where I realise I've got no kind of... I can stick up the graphic again. No, we're just, I'll just end the streams. I'm not even sure which one I'm supposed to end first. I think I've right. one in here. So I can, yeah, thanks I for can. everybody who's been watching, and um, hope you survived large chunks of it. <laughs> um, Paul McCartney, okay. and all the other people watching it. So, yeah. let me um, just. Uh, the last thing that I can do then is go to uh, just uh, give you my. Oops, no, it didn't work. Never mind. I tried to send you my website, but is uh, uh, it Dave Cohen or some variant of that? Uh, well, I'm sending like you the other one, the author one. So. Uh, uh, it's see. probably not right mine. Totally nothing yeah. to do with my name because my name's yeah, really there common. There you go. Oh yeah, HTTPS David yeah. J Cohen Yeah, you've got the same problems. I'm common name. You can't you can't yeah. get the main though. <laughs> anyway, thanks for everybody watching, and I'm gonna probably screw up ending the stream now. So here we go.